Welcome to Great Secular Jews in History, a project by the students and Professor Ted Merwin's Jewish Identity in a Secular Age course in the spring of 2010. This course was sponsored by the Posen Foundation for Secular Judaism. welcome you to this edition of Secular Judaism Today. Today's guest is the esteemed lawyer, Supreme Court Justice, and American Zionist leader, Louis Brandeis. How are you today, Justice Brandeis? Very well, and thank you for having me on your program. So let's get straight to business. How did your childhood influence what you have become today? Well, I was born in 1856 in Louisville, Kentucky where my parents had recently immigrated from Prague. Throughout my childhood, my family remained extremely secular because there were very few Jews where we lived. I can even remember celebrating Christian holidays in the community where I lived. But my parents constantly stressed education, and I can truly say that is why I am here today. So is it really true that you received the highest grade point average ever at Harvard Law? <laughs> Well, yes, I do believe it was one of the highest. However, it did not come easily. I had terrible troubles with my vision all throughout law school, and the administration recommended that I drop out. But I was so determined to succeed that I used to pay students to read aloud to me. I've always had a great memory, so that ended up proving very <laughs> useful to me. That is very impressive. Can you tell us a little bit about your career as a lawyer and why you decided to practice what you did. I got admitted into the Missouri Bar at 1878 and worked in St. Louis Law Firm for only a few months, but quickly realized that Boston was my true home. Ever since I attended Harvard, I always had a passion for the city and felt as though I could help improve the lives of all its citizens, especially the people living in the poor parts of the city. I have always believed that if one improves one's living conditions, they will be much less inclined to commit criminal acts. So I moved back to my beloved city, where I set up a law firm with my classmate and dear friend, Samuel Warren. Though it was very successful in dealing with advising businesses, my true passion has always been in the public service and working to improve the community. You and Samuel Warren wrote an article in the Harvard Law Review, which was published in 1890, I believe, titled, The Right to Privacy. It is widely known today as one of the most important articles in American law history. Can you tell us a little bit about this article? Ah, uh, yes. That did receive a lot of press when it came out. It was actually written in 1879, just after I returned to Boston. In it, Sam and I essentially made the argument that the Founding Fathers believed that every individual has, as we said, the right to be let alone. However, we believed that recent innovations in photography have was allowing the press to breach people's rights to privacy by putting pictures in the newspapers without having the consent of the individual. The argument presented in the article actually became very useful later in my career as a Supreme Court justice. I had to rule against using the evidence taken from wiretaps that were set up without the consent of the justice system. This was, in my opinion, a clear breach of individuals' rights to privacy. Besides being involved in public service and the betterment of the city of Boston during the beginning of the 20th century, you became extremely involved in the American Zionist movement. After having little to no involvement with the Jewish community in the first half of your life, what gave you this newfound sense of Jewishness? Well, I was never a practicing Jew. 
who followed all the religious customs. However, the fact that I dealt with Jews on a regular basis and realized their high sophistication made me feel a strong connection with the Jewish community. And by 1912, I declared myself a Zionist and actually was the leader of the American Zionism from August 1914 to July 1916. However, unlike the Jews in Europe in the 1930s and 40s, I considered Zionism as a correction of American society and not as a safe haven for Jews. I had truly experienced little anti-Semitism living in Boston in the 20th century, and thus my views of Zionism was different from that of Theodore Herzl's, who was heavily influenced by anti-Semitism and its negative effects on Jews. How did the lead-up to World War II and the actual war affect your view on Zionism? It hurt me terribly to see that what was happening to the Jews in Germany in the 1930s. I died in 1941, so I never got to see the full extent of the Nazi cruelty. However, by the mid-1930s, my whole perspective had changed. I was fearful about the survival of my people. I became less concerned with the moral and social fabric which Palestine would adopt if or when the Jews arrived, to worrying solely about finding a place where Jews could be free of persecution. The persecution of the Jews got me attached to the idea of the kibbutz in the mid-1930s. I believed a society where everyone relied on each other for basic needs would eliminate the rampant intolerance which was present all throughout Europe. So we're out of time, and that concludes our presentation of Secular Judaism Today. Mr. Brandeis, it was a true pleasure to have you here today. Thank you for having me. It was a wonderful experience.